Hello everybody, this is episode 160 of G.I. Joburg, I'm Steve, and today I'm joined once again by Mr. Troy Smith, the largest, most prolific contributor to our G.I. Joe Special Forces Avenue on YouTube. This man is bringing you adventures of his own, which I find very encouraging myself, to be honest. You got me back in the game. Troy, how are you doing, my man? Best day of my life. <laughs> wow. Okay, it's in close competition with the previous best day of your life, which was the last time we recorded. Amazing. Exactly. Best day of my life until tomorrow. So it's December 23rd in the United States. It's December 24th in uh, China. How has the festive season been treating you? Now? Very good. I got all the Christmas shopping finished. and With time to spare. <laughs> That's right. Time to spare. There's nothing quite like having to hit the shops on Christmas Eve. It's absolute pandemonium, man. Oh, it's terrible. Just going to the regular store to get your regular things is hard because yeah. there's so many more people out. So if you need to go get bread, you know, <laughs> just like Target is packed. Every place is busy. Costco is crazy. So I'm, as I say, on, on the other side of the bamboo curtain, man. And China, well, I mean, it, it's never going to approximate my personal Christmas traditions, but... Uh, it's it certainly has come to the party in terms of the commercial aspect of Christmas, <laughs> which is to say that shops are packed and resorts are packed. Yesterday, my wife and I went to Disneyland, Shanghai, and it was insane. It was perhaps the biggest day of the year. We had a few rides and then we decided to call it a day because yeah, the lines for like any of the major uh, roller coasters were like over two hours. And in one case, I think it got as high as a three-hour wait time. It's like you could oh you could goodness. watch a couple of feature films queuing up for those things. And the ride's like 30 seconds long or something like that. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, that's not a good uh, use of time. <laughs> it's not a good equation, no. <laughs> no, not at all. We thought about going to Disneyland on Christmas Day and then uh, very quickly nixed those plans because it's like that's – you think like, oh, nobody will be there, but no, there will be lots of people there. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, if you strap for Christmas gifts, do not right. get a ticket for Disneyland. <laughs> it's a it's a curse. Yes. But uh, let's flip the script, man. Um, we are forging ahead in our respective uh, video presentations on the channel, and I couldn't be prouder, Troy. You're taking your story in fantastic new avenues and ones that I could have never predicted. The first thing I'd like to remark on is the fact that, and I am referring to anyone who's still in the dock, to By Dawn's Early Light, which is the companion piece to Troy's 26-minute epic, Clairvoyance. Uh, By Dawn's Early Light, firstly... Watch it. <laughs> Check out the YouTube channel and watch it. Be sure to watch it before listening to this podcast because uh, we can't get into a discussion without spoiling the twists. And there are twists. It is quite sneaky and quite um, meta in, in many respects. And the first thing I'd like to touch on, so spoilers begin now, <laughs> the commercials that you created, the sort of in-universe commercials that you created mm -hmm. for... Dawn's Early Lights, featuring Mr. Crystal Ball, among others. What was the idea behind that? Was it always supposed to be just something that existed in the Joeverse, or is this something that is actively breaking the fourth wall for us? We are breaking the fourth wall 
completely. And I have to give credit to Paul. This was a lot of Paul's idea is like, wouldn't it be neat if we just had like, you know, as Falcon's being tormented, the audience is being tortured by Crystal Ball. And and he's just everywhere. We see him on TV. We hear him on podcast. He's just everywhere. He's on Twitter, on Facebook. And I just kind of took that idea and ran with it. So I was like, all right, you know, why don't we sprinkle out these commercials? And people will be like, OK, this is weird. What is this? And not have any context at all. And so that these commercials just kind of drop. No promotion, just like all of a sudden, boom, new video commercial just mm. to get people talking like, oh, this is weird. And then uh, we kind of review a little bit in Don's early light. We kind of see a couple frames. Yeah, man. Uh, like 10 years ago, the term would have been viral marketing. I don't know if that still is kind of in popular use now, but it's the kind of no explanations given, just like you seed these things. So anyone watching the actual feature will recall, hey, wait, I've seen that before. I can't quite place where, but it's definitely in the back of the subconscious somewhere. The first uh, commercial we dropped was <laughs> Better Call Ball, which I guess is right. a, a play on uh, Better Call Saul, the, uh, the spin-off from Breaking Bad. That's right. Breaking Bad. Breaking yeah. Bad. Gosh. Um, yeah, man. Uh Bob, what's his name? Bob Odenkirk. Brilliant actor. Great, um, great comedian. Anyways, I'm getting distracted. <laughs> this was a lawyer commercial, which I must oh, say yes. you managed to capture the tone of those. Have you been injured in a, an alligator <laughs> accident? You know, like just the, the absurdity of these kind of personal liabilities lawyers and the various things that uh, people take other people to court over. Uh, you captured it in action figure form superbly. Oh, thank you. Did you create a kind of a, a comp background? I mean, did you find or source an image? Because you've got Crystal Ball front and center, mm -hmm. and he's got a kind of a typical like lawyer's office row of books, like a bookshelf. Like, yeah, does anyone actually consult the books anymore? <laughs> it's not just online resources. <laughs> Anyways, this beautiful. Yeah, what's a book? <laughs> exactly. And then along the side, you had a strap of possible claims. And so much of the joy of that commercial is in the detail. You've loaded it with very, very funny terms. If you have seen this commercial, you know what we're talking about. I would tell you to go back and watch it again, because you could watch it several times before you manage to take it all in. And that was the idea. It'll blow by in 30 seconds, but there's lots of uh, hidden details but going back to the furniture, that is actually a doll piece set that came with the dollhouse from Clairvoyance. You are kidding. So, no. It, I repurposed one of the uh, furniture pieces and was like, oh, this is perfect. And then I also shot it at my office at work, and we have uh, soundproofing. And the soundproofing has a nice little uh, colorful background, so I kind of included that a little bit. So that's where the other... Well, the scaling is perfect. The lighting is perfect. It's got that sort of warm, like, mm -hmm. expensive office um, <laughs> uh, ambience yeah, the, to it, which is amazing. The mahogany wood. <laughs> you had me fooled, man. Big time. Yeah. Well done. I, th I honestly yeah. thought that was a sourced image and you'd somehow comped Crystal Ball over it. No, that's all, uh, all real. Bravo. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. 
and uh, the tech. So, yes, I found on YouTube a typical lawyer commercial, and I pretty much try to do it frame by frame, including the push out and then having the text and when it started rolling at the right time. And then um, I just started going alphabetical of like some accidents, normal ones like dog bites and this and that. But then I started like adding to them like crocodile attacks and buzz bores and helicopter accidents and <laughs> all those other little su- subtleties. And of course, seeded into that text like, we will kill Falcon, we will fight you, <laughs> and we are yes. in your head. It's yes. It's quite an assault, man. I mean, would you imagine Crystal Ball to be, in your sort of retelling of G.I. Joe, someone who is seen on these daytime commercials and no one has actually twigged that it's brainwashing? I'm not saying that's not an impossibility, but I was thinking of uh, it being more as like we're getting a sense of life through Falcon's eyes. Right. Okay, so these are his perceptions. Yes. He's he's kind of superimposing Crystal Ball mm -hmm. onto... A typical lawyer commercial. Exactly. So huh. I would say, let's just go right to the end. Uh, uh, when Crazy Legs sees the commercials, he sees a commercial, but Falcon is seeing Crystal Ball. Gotcha. It, hence why Falcon is quite anxious to change the channel. Change the channel. Mm. Change it again. <laughs> hey, you do a great Falcon impersonation. <laughs> Are you in... By dawn's early light, by any chance? Oh. Uh, so the second commercial, just for Joe's. Now this did require some uh, technical wizardry. Yes, it did. You recolored Crystal Ball's hair. You also recolored Law's hair. Yes. Excellent. Those I did digitally. So yeah, I, I did not uh, use the just for Joe's sharpies. <laughs> For those, I left them as is and uh, painstakingly painted them out, keyed them, you know, oh. the uh, the advantage of digital technology. Mm, all the toys. Well, it, yes. it looks fantastic, though I'm sure Crystal Ball wouldn't mind if you touched up his, his gray a little bit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe he would and maybe he wouldn't. I don't know. It might be his part of his character. Totally, too, totally. Yeah, two-toned. I mean, it's it's perfectly like black and perfectly white. There's no gray. <laughs> no gray yeah. with him. Very much like uh, Mr. Fantastic or Doctor Strange. Yes. That's incredible. Like yeah. In South Africa, we have a chocolate called a, a Cadbury's Top Deck, which is basically uh, milk chocolate on the bottom and then sort of white chocolate on the top. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, so it's, it's you know two tones. So I suppose Crystal Ball is a, a Top Deck. <laughs> the Checkpoint Alpha makes a little... Uh, Cameo. I love the fact that it's the pen holder. Yes. <laughs> and the sting at the end, uh, masterstroke, man. <laughs> 90s neon colors, just for Joe's. Oh, yes. I, I saw those. I was going through and I was grabbing like, okay, this is a real, like, this is a, a proper green. This is black, blue, red. You know, I'm getting all the, the normal colors. And I just look over and I see all these neon colors and like, oh, this is 1990 written all over it. And... <laughs> <laughs> the original commercial had a beard trimmer, and I was like, eh, I don't want to go that way, so my little spin was the 1990 Joes. They're famous for being neon, so how could you not? Are you familiar with the Ice Cream Soldier? Actually? Oh, yes. Non-removable helmets, but if you could remove it, what neon color do you suppose his hair has been colored? Uh, Probably the same as Zartan. Okay. <laughs> the, the green. 
yeah Wild. the dark green and the, the 90s zartan <laughs> yeah perfect contrast with his excellent orange uh, neon orange outfit yeah wow but you know those were the times and um you know i i kind of give credit to you guys because you guys love the neon and it's like when someone gets passionate about it it's you know it's infectious it's like you know what maybe these aren't as bad as uh i think (laughs) uh no i think it was more a case of like loving the joes that are available because we kind of missed the sweet spot um Mm -hmm. and which is why i suppose we always will find we'll, we'll we'll seek out the love for these figures but uh yeah man there ain't no school like the old school i'll be the first to admit i just yeah you know had to had to kind of embrace the craziness uh, otherwise there would be no joes at all man right the final commercial ball real estate now this is something that's i think truly speaks to the heart of what cobra is and how cobra kind of mm-hmm. sells their dream to the man in the street because not everyone is prepared to pick up a rifle but absolutely every single one of us will consider a get rich scheme a get rich oh, quick scheme, yes. you know, like just something that is too good to be true and often is. I mean, almost always is. And a free real estate course that will skyrocket your fortunes is exactly what Cobra's all about. Just getting you into their pocket and then you'll never ever get out. I know. Isn't it terrible? It's like I watch, I'm looking forward to watching a G.I. Joe Bird video and it's like not as much real estate anymore as like stock markets. And I'm sure that's because that's what Google thinks I like. <laughs> so I see the stock market, this training and that and this and that. And, you know, I fell victim to some of those advertisings on uh, real estate also. So that was my like little revenge of just like these guys are such frauds. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Pyramid schemes, man. It's like you can make money with yes. next to no investment or any kind of actual savvy in the field. <laughs> Just uh, ride along mm-hmm. with us. Meanwhile, you're riding along at the bottom of the pyramid and they're all the way at the top. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I purposely made the VO pretty obvious like that. I will upsell you. <laughs> and mm. and uh, get rich overnight and most successful investors and you know, just had to throw in the twins because when I think about investing in Cobra, you know, extensive enterprise has perfect. to be right there. Perfect. They're a perfect cameo, in fact, to give way to their appearance in uh, my contribution. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, the eagle-eyed uh, webisode fans out there did actually call call us out on it. They were like, hey, is that the first appearance of the twins? Yes, it was. Yeah. Nice. And what's funny is you and I both cast them without talking about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we both kind of grabbed them. Yeah, it was about time they became the big bads. Mm-hmm. Because I imagine they just have their tentacles everywhere. Uh, I am, yeah. of course, overseas at the moment. And, and so uh, using the local flavor was pretty essential for me. I reckon they're the kind of guys who gallivants around the world because they can keep up a rather public face. Mm-hmm. They never wear masks. Right. Tomex and Zamot are, for all intents and purposes, legitimate businessmen. Yes, who allegedly have ties with Cobra. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially when they wear their circus freakish outfits with the Cobra symbols emblazoned on them. <laughs> they were very quick to have a, a character model on the Sunbow 
cartoon that was civvies. And to right. my mind, they were the only Cobras that were kind of routinely seen wearing civilian clothes. And it wasn't yes. a disguise. It was like, this is what we wear when we're doing business, and we wear the other stuff when we're dodging lasers. Yes, doing a different type of business. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it's too bad that they didn't make uh, action figures like uh, with them in their suits. That would have been really cool. Fortunately, they corrected that uh, through the figure subscription service. Mm-hmm. You can get Tomex and Zamot in those blue suits with the, the mm-hmm. red carnations. I think they're carnations. <laughs> what yeah. do I know about flowers, man? <laughs> but once again, you know, if you're a stickler for the vintage construction, yeah, you're kind of coming up short. Um, and also, if you are uh, unwilling to pay that kind of money per figure, because, you know, figure subscription service figures are commanding premium prices nowadays i mean they always did yes i i was uh out of collecting by the time he came out but headmaster i think would make a good body for the twins headman headman yes <laughs> yes aka hamburglar i mean yes a black pinstripe suit come on <laughs> oh suit suit i mean it's pretty pretty sweet <laughs> that suit saw a lot of reuse in fact, I can recall it seeing reuse as a uh, general flag, sort of general's outfit. It was kind of recolored in green, and it mm. it looked possible-ish. I mean, the the pocket square, the sort of little uh, hanky that sticks out of the pocket, was I suppose recolored to be medals. I mm, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe the the translation isn't that good, but uh, yeah, I mean, it it was the go-to civilian slash suited slash mobster outfit for many years and many a customs i think uh, made use of use of it as well in those old o-ring days mm-hmm. i've never seen him in the wild anywhere but if i did see him in the price is right i'd, I'd bring him home i think it's such a it's just an interesting figure and i've never seen him in in real life <laughs> it's definitely in a class of its own that's for sure uh, yeah. i don't yeah, think there's just... there's many other toys in the Vintage G.I. Joe line, quite like him. Nope. <laughs> Certainly not in the card art either. What a, yeah. what a character. The war on drugs, man. Will G.I. Yes. Joeberg ever tackle that? I don't know. I'm kind of more excited about uh, facing up against uh, eco-tourism. Uh, eco eco-terrorism. <laughs> uh, that's right. That, that's, that presents some, some interesting avenues. Yes. Set for. Okay. Here we go. By the dawn's early lights. Mm-hmm. What's quite fun about it is we see vehicle action right up front. Yes. I think you shot me a little bit of, bit of a video chat the day you guys were shooting that. It looked like a perfect day. You went for a little bit of a hike? That's right. We went up a little hike in the mountains of Simi Valley, and uh, I had my youngest with me, my four-year-old son. He came. And um, my middle child, yes. The kids are just crawling out of the woodwork, man. <laughs> How do you have time for anything? At, you've got three girls and one boy. That's correct. And a full-time job and a wife and a burning passion for G.I. Joe action figures. <laughs> Incredible, yes. man. Okay, cool. So uh, what's his name and what was his, his involvement? Uh, Johannes is his name. And uh, yeah. He had um, – it was kind of hard to kind of keep him 
occupied, but he really loved being out there and getting dirty. And he's just all boy. And so there's one scene of the buzz bore where he is, uh, it's like, it's really waggling going side to side and really rapidly. And the camera can barely keep up. That's me chasing Jojo. <laughs> so amazing. Yeah. So some of those hands, uh, you can see his hands. He and Lily Bella worked really well together and she was a good coach helping him. So when, uh, the buzz borer and uh, LVC, is that correct? LCV, uh, low crawl vehicle. LCV, yes. Yeah. Yes, when they're going at it side by side, that's uh, that's those two. Excellent. And, of course, my man Troy on camera duties. Yeah, behind camera. I don't think I would be able to do any kind of vehicular action while I'm here kind of soloing it. So, once again, kudos to your your little army. They are, they are invaluable. So yeah, you can yes. send them G.I. Joeberg's highest commendations for their contributions. Well, thank you. Mm. And we, we can get, I guess we might as well cover it now. And Jasmine, my seven-year-old, she was helping me in the garden with Falcon. So later when Falcon, uh, the second half, but we can touch upon that later. But I had help from her also. Fantastic. You know yeah, I don't want to leave her out. Sure, man. Well, a good spread of the kids. You kind of like delegating the the workload shall we say <laughs> that's right because <laughs> it, it's fun but like at the end of the, at the end of the day you have to kind of make sure you've got all the shots and setups you need so it can become tedious to a youngster whose kind of attentions might start to wander so good right. good that you kind of spread the load a bit fantastic yes and what's interesting uh, once again coming back to the sort of vehicular action i'm pretty sure uh, and I can't be 100% sure, but at least as far as my own exposure to G.I. Joe Media is concerned, that there has never been a LCV versus Buzzbore duel in any other no, way, I, shape, or form. Anyone I, I uh, listening so. to this who has uh, evidence otherwise, uh, be sure to come at me. <laughs> <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, it's originally yours, Troy. Well, thank you. I'll, I'll take it with honor. An interesting matchup. They they utilize their their separate abilities, the buzzbores, boring action, and the the missiles, the LCVs, sort of scanning device, and the rear firing gun. It was quite a intense little duel. Yes, I was like, I got to do GI Joeberg style, you know, those little features. Got to got to highlight them, show them off. Yeah, man. That's what it's all about. The inspiration always tends to come straight from the toys themselves. You know, if you really get in there and show exactly what a toy can do, the action writes itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's always been my philosophy with these things. I don't, I don't storyboard anything ahead of time. I just kind of like, hmm, then I think this should happen. So effectively, it's as, a, <laughs> it's as organic as playing with the the toys, you know, as a child and just like having that chain of causation like oh i hit you here so that knocked out your cannons so now you've got to use your missiles or you got to like ram my vehicle you know stuff like that that's the kind of mm -hmm. very by the seat of your pants um plotting that i think is quite evident in these things did the kids yeah. actually contribute to the the way the action unfolded as no as far as the camera angles and what's going to happen next i think i kind of just i kind of took the page out of your book also uh 
I kind of know what I want to get. I need these shots to move this way or that way. And the rest is just hiking and hoping we find a good spot. Yeah. Location is so key. It's yeah. also that also suggests the flow of the action. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, so we've got a hill here. The vehicle's going to try and tackle this hill. It's going to slow it down. It's going to become an easier target. Stuff like that. It is right. always kind of suggested by the environment. But there's one instance where Falcon's LCV narrowly is missed by the buzzball missile. Great dust mm-hmm. hit, by the way. Really enjoy the drama on like the explosion effect of the, you know, the dust being flung up by the missile. That's Lily Bella, right on cue. Fantastic, <laughs> fantastic work, Lil. Falcon dodges it, and he's like, I didn't know I could do that. So he's kind of got a level of disbelief about it. And then mm-hmm. there's this interesting wipe effect that you use to transition out of that shot. And yeah, like a, a, a wavy... I, I was trying to use that to make it seem like, like it was really hot. Okay. Kind of like the desert. Yeah. Well, my interpretation of it, which... I, I hope is a valid interpretation, maybe perhaps just a, a little bonus, um, is the fact that it kind of foreshadows the fact that this might might not be real. Mm-hmm. That, like, him being able to maneuver the LCV like that, it kind of, kind of jars him. He's like, I, I didn't know I could do that. Like, I, I should have been dead. How did that missile miss me? Yeah. And then yeah, that combined was... with the wipe kind of tipped me off a little bit <laughs> but no I, I i i knew it was coming i had read the script already <laughs> <laughs> yeah the 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 maneuver on the lvc i was just playing with it in my hands and i was just looking at like oh you know like you, you see guys on motorcycle bikes all the time in these action films hit the front brake and the rear end comes up and turn and spin and i was like technically that should be possible in lvc if it goes fast enough and why not throw it in? And I thought, what a cool action scene if he uh, hits the brakes, flips that thing around, and barely misses being hit by a missile. It's like, that can be kind of cool. Huh. That was kind of it. I think I'm picking up what you're putting down. Uh, I didn't see the film, and I, I I don't think I'd ever want to, but Will Smith's latest blockbuster smash, I think it was called Gemini Man. Gemini. Yes, the... I have not seen it. I think in the trailer they do some kind of like bike stunt work where, yeah, they kind mm-hmm. of turn on the front brakes and swing out the back of the bike, that sort of thing. Yeah. Okay. I'm sure it's in one of the Fast and Furious mo- movies. That, I mean, the odds have to be in their favor. <laughs> or Biker Boys or one biker of those. Biker Boys. I mean, he was so many. Yeah. They definitely had their time in the sun, these sort of uh, mm-hmm. motorhead type films. Um, yeah. And yeah, I suppose with the LCV's unique construction up front, it's got mm-hmm. more bra- braking power uh, over the front forks than the back. Ah, right. Right, right, right. Do you ever concern yourself with damaging the toys? I mean, <laughs> I try and exercise some level of, like, I, I don't know, just like acceptance that there are going to be nicks, there are going to be scratches, but. You and your kids are really hard on those toys in that in that dirt and in the sort of small stones. You know, what's funny about this is the irony of the guy who took an aircraft carrier and put it in the ocean is asking me about uh, scratching up a buzz bore. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> okay, touche, touche. 
You probably didn't gather from the uh, behind the scenes, but I am extremely ginger about assembling and disassembling that thing. <laughs> I, yeah. I would be very surprised if there was any noticeable damage um, to my flag from those days. Water yes. is a very forgiving medium, whereas rocky earth, not so much. Yeah, and uh, that is very true. I do have three buzz bores, so I still have one in very good condition. So I have one in not so good of condition now. <laughs> but you're right. Stunt buzz ball. Yeah, exactly. They do get uh, trashed. And I saw the comments in the YouTube channel, uh, somebody asking about like how to clean that up. And I was like, oh, yes, maybe I should do that. <laughs> I I didn't. They're still dusty and dirty. Look, as far as I'm concerned, having like play ready versions is great. I mean, if you do yes. have multiples, then you've got a display version and then you've got one which can live in a toy box and get pulled out. Mm -hmm. and, and, and it being dirty and dusty just adds to its authenticity. I mean, these are mm -hmm. military vehicles. For them to look like they've just come off of the showroom floor is incorrect. Yes. I mean, granted, if they were on parade, spit and polish, young man. But, you know, for the most part, they need to be almost battle-ready. Right. And I'm a different type of collector. I, I don't ever see that I would sell these. Yeah. Like, when I'm dead and gone, I mean, who knows what's going to happen to them? So it's like... In the casket with you, sir. Yeah. Right now is a very small window. And if I can just have that extra time with my kids and, that you know, this 30-year-old toy can still bring joy to me and uh, and I can pass it on to my kids that they have fun and handle it and play with it. I mean, that's really what it's about. There are others who have everything on display and those displays look amazing. And if I had the time, I'm not going to lie, I'm very envious of those guys who have those. I mean, they're amazing and immaculate. I've seen them uh, on YouTube and on Facebook and I salute those guys. Um, unfortunately, that's not me. So it's like I have these things. Let's let's use them and let's play with them. And it possibly goes both ways. I mean, having the burden of maintaining an immaculate collection of of toys, they are there to be admired and not handled. Mm -hmm. Whereas you know you go the other way. I think I think there's merits to both sides. I and mean, I've said this yeah. on the, on the podcast before. I certainly feel better about potential breakages and wearing things down because I know that there are collectors out there who have immaculate collections. So this stuff will survive historically. Mm -hmm. Yes. I can burn my collection out. So by the time they're ready to close me up in my casket, uh, there's nothing but plastic dust. Yes. <laughs> and, and plus... We're also talking about buzz bores and uh, an L. I keep always getting the words backward. L LVC. Oh, right? you want to try it again? LCV. <laughs> Correct. Troy, it's fine. Keep keep it up, brother. We all know what you're talking about. And yes. hey, acronyms in GI Joe are beyond the point of ridiculousness. So LVC, LCV, it's that thing. That thing from 1986 that you have now created a demand for. <laughs> Because I'm right. not sure the demand existed before. Well, let's let's hope so, because uh, I, you know, for every toy and every figure out there, I know that there's a person who just loves that figure, and I know that there are people who love Buzz Bores, 
and they're really going to enjoy seeing the buzz bore in action and the LCV in action. <laughs> Very good. But most, but most people compared to an striker and LCV, we're going to grab the striker or mm-hmm. a vamp, you know, LCV is not the top top, but there are still people out there who love them. And so it's like, as far as getting dirty, which would I rather get dirty an Ostrike <laughs> or an LCV, you know? Okay. I'll let the LCV fall down the cliff for a dramatic entrance, I guess, you know? Totally. Um, I know it's not saying much, but uh, Mr. Paul Loebscher has been quoted now saying the words, I need to get myself an LCV. And that's all courtesy of you. <laughs> all right. But let's talk about that fall, man. Uh, fantastic shots where the, the buzz ball finally takes, takes a tumble. You have the sort of the classic foreground, midground, and background, which is something that I should probably mm-hmm. try and aim at doing. I, I, I typically only ever have a foreground and a background. But uh, you showed off a bit of the countryside and the sort of over the LCV shot, like a little, little bit of POV almost, Mm-hmm. Um, hitting the buzz ball and having it tumble down into that, that valley and then tumbling down in after it. Dramatic stuff and a fantastic conclusion. Yes. I wonder what the people who saw it for the first time were thinking when they see all of a sudden Chuckles is driving like, okay, that's weird. What, what's that about? And that's where the, the long dramatic no comes in. Yeah. I, I imagine at that point the penny hadn't dropped yet. Yeah, that should have been like the first screw clue. It was like, oh, damn, Chuckles maybe was operating this buzz ball, like escaping from Cobra. But then again, why was he shooting at me? It's like, oh, man. Yeah. Hmm. And that takes us into... Cut to... Yeah, to the next scene. Jungle stalking. Excellent. Yes. A setting that uh, I'd really love to see more of Falcon in, to be honest. Okay. You know, by virtue of his Green Beret specialty, he should be in country you know, mm-hmm. and less time sort of on base or uh, it's it's cool to see Falcon like living off the land, essentially surviving and victory from within. Yes. But he's being stalked. Yes, he is. He's being stalked and haunted and uh, taunted and terrorized by Crystal Ball. The soundscape is really cool, man. Yeah. I, instead of having Paul revoice some new speaking roles I, I you know what i wanted to just tie into clairvoyance and everything we've heard there's nothing new in that piece is looks well, i think i had paul scream when he got shot <laughs> but the uh th- there's nothing new in there so that's kind of also tying it back to like okay something's going on this is in his head you know why do we keep hearing these things over and over again why is crystal ball announcing where he's at and this this banter and talking back and forth so these were recycled lines, kind of remixed. Right. I suppose to give the impression that it's it's all in Falcon's mind, and, and it, there is nothing new. It's not it's not a dialogue that's happening. It's just these kind no. of echoes of a past memory. Yes, he's traumatized. One yeah. shot that I'd really like to bring to your attention: the creepy fade in, fade out, crystal ball. Oh yes. Falcon kind of walks past frame, and in the background, in a sort of a, a shadowy nook in the foliage, in the cave, you can see Crystal Ball appear 
disappear and reappear. Right. How? Do you want to, I mean, is this kind of like magician not revealing his tricks or shall we, shall we peel back the, the veil? Yeah. Just layers and, and cutting out the shape. So, uh, if you look closely, you'll notice that Falcon is not covering over where it's at. So you can just kind of just put one image on top of the other, and then you just draw what's called an animat outside. So you can cut it out kind of like a green screen, except instead of using a green screen, you just kind of draw your own little shape. It's a creepy episode. The clairvoyance was action and had some funny parts. This one's not funny, <laughs> not funny at all. I wanted to do something kind of different. All, all my humor came into commercials. <laughs> I got them out ahead of time. So, yeah, I tried to make this one just not happy, if that makes mm. sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it, it does feel like it's building towards something. I call this mm -hmm. a companion piece because it, it really needs to be taken straight after Clairvoyance. It is very mm -hmm. much the aftermath of what happened. In case the viewer is left uh, not feeling the weight of, of Falcon's ordeal. It's like, oh, well, he, he just had a run-in with uh, three Cobra operatives. He got his bruises. And then, right. uh, you know, it gets shuffled back into rotation. But no, man, it's, it's definitely something that needs to be taken as a tonic uh, at the end of your clairvoyance. You're like, mm, oh, dear. There's definitely yeah. something not right with this man. I wonder how it plays out. And I suppose that that comes next. That's correct. Mm. There will be more. <laughs> there will be more. Indeed. Yes. I really, really, really enjoy seeing the MCC repurposed as a barracks. Mm -hmm. It's something that seldom gets done in G.I. Joe media, just seeing a kind of a a tranquil moment on base. Like, right. I'm sure Joes have trouble sleeping. They get up in the night and go down to the canteen and make themselves a, a beverage or something and have a conversation with fellow night owls. This is something we don't often see, and when we do, it's kind of something that is rather unique and should be should be celebrated. Case in point, I will always reference the issue where there's a star viper who is infiltrating the pit, and he's sneaking through it after sort of lights out, and most of the, the Joes have gone to, to bed, and he goes past... A sort of control booth where Flint and Lady J are having a rather intimate moment. <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with that, but I thought it was such no. a nice touch. It's like, you know, yeah, if they are having a relationship, you're going to see it flaring up um, once everyone else is kind of clocked off for the night. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Very candid. Yeah, I have not seen that episode or mm. issue. And I'm not saying that Crazy Legs and, and Falcon are having any kind of relationship, but it's nice to see that, you know, like, Crazy Legs, uh, he's kind of goofing off, isn't he? You say that there's oh, yeah. no humor, but he's he's meant to be, uh, I suppose, just checking the diagnostics on those screens, but actually right. he's watching television. Yeah, it has to be watching television or I can't get the commercials in. So That's great, man. <laughs> yep. Yes. And uh, I'm sure that the people with keen eyes will notice that the G.I. Joburg commercial is still on there also. I, I threw that one in for fun. <laughs> Thanks, Troy. <laughs> You're Thanks. welcome. Yeah. So, and then, uh, I, you know, that was a fun scene to do because I was just playing around with lights. So I found like a uh, 
a little wristband that you a slap wristband that glows in the dark and it was and I pulled out the strap and the aluminum and I grabbed an orange one and so I kind of wrapped it inside where um, either the sick bay is or the beds are in the MCC and just kind of like okay get a little bit of mood lighting there and um, to get the lights off of uh, kind of the TV lights actually going that's practical so I grabbed my wife's iPhone and any guess what Crazy Legs actually watching? Gosh, on the big screen, uh, aka yeah. the iPhone. Uh, I don't know. It, it had such a nice flicker, so it wasn't something static. I would hazard a guess that you had Googled actual commercials. Uh-huh. I was thinking, uh, no. I was. Uh, it's clairvoyance. <laughs> no, <laughs> excellent. It has to be GI Joburg video. I mean, what else is there to watch? <laughs> okay, very good. Yeah, and it would have created the the right kind of flicker as well because yep. beautiful colors and well, my man is yeah. a colorist after all. Yes. Yeah, fantastic. Jeez. Well, I was wondering if it was practical. That's great. And mm-hmm. also adding some some like reading light almost to the the MCC cot. Yes. It's very authentic. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, and that gets us to the end of uh this interlude. <laughs> we have to give uh, credit to Paul. This was Paul's idea a long time ago in a thread when we were talking about clairvoyance. And clairvoyance was getting pretty long as is and very ambitious. And, and when he Paul kind of gave me the plot line, it's like, oh, man, I don't know. I, can, I cannot fit that in clairvoyance, but I am going to put this in my pocket and think about it and mull it over. And this is the end of it. This this is uh, this was I hope that I, I brought Paul justice and he enjoyed it. I, he, he said he did. So I'm sure he did. <laughs> <laughs> but this was part of his brainchild. So, you know, the overall idea was his. And uh, I just tried to implement it to the best of my ability. With a little bit of help from you. <laughs> oh, gee, very minimal help from me. You guys really ran with it and I couldn't be prouder. It's a, it's a great piece. And once again, listener, if you've gotten this far and you haven't seen it, do yourself a favor. In fact, go back yeah. and watch Clairvoyance and then the little taste afterwards of uh, the aftermath with Dawn's early lights. Mm-hmm. Cool. interesting uh, experiment in podcasting as well because while I've been um, well doing my best to interview Troy about his contribution I mean Troy just has been running with it uh, which is awesome now we flip the uh, roles and he's going to interview me about this little thing that I've been managing to, to crank out while I've been far and away in red China yes and then the first thing I was wondering is like, how are you going to shoot a movie while in China? Because all your past movies have been like out in this vast wilderness in in the jungles, in the deserts, on the ocean. And you nailed it. 
it's like there's no more wondering I and mean, the, the cityscapes and city scenes, the way you merged this little uh, three and three quarter action figure into Hong Kong and China. It, it's amazing. So kudos to you. <laughs> yeah, a lot of forced perspective. I mean, there's mm-hmm. no real opportunity when you're living out of a hotel room to build sets. You're kind of dealing with what you've got. So as right. essential as location scouting is for any G.I. Joburg video, it's doubly so when you just don't have the toys to hand. You know, if like right. if I wanted to shoot a sequence that looked like a Cobra base, I don't have a panel from the Cobra Terradrome to use. You know, I had to kind of ramshackle something together and run the risk of it looking kind of sparse, which is why I guess I, I kind of repurposed whatever props I had to hand. Anything that I picked mm-hmm. up in local toy shops uh, probably got some screen time. <laughs> right. And it works. It's it's amazing. So I know that there was a, you got a package from Kim, and I remember Jinx being in the package. Very good, yes. It all starts with that, man. I, I came to China with very few toys. Uh, mm-hmm. I had an idea that since we were going to be in Beijing, Shanghai, Xi'an, and Nanjing over what is essentially their winter, that if there was any snowfall, we'd have the opportunity to finally, and very uniquely, um, have a G.I. Joburg video set in the snow. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems the weather has not been coming to the party because we've seen very little snow so far. I hold my thumbs that we might get a little bit of snowfall later on, but... Uh, I'm going back home in January, and it's now late December, so the window <laughs> becomes ever tighter. Um, so yeah, I primarily have snow toys with me, and they just would not play in any other settings. So if it wasn't for that donation from uh, Mr. MCDJ ACDC on YouTube... <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think we would be out of luck when it comes to to webisodes here. So the casting is essentially entirely based on what was in that box. And he saved G.I. Joe Berg. (laughs) Big time. Thank you, sir. Yes. And, you know, so Bazooka was in the box also. And that gave rise to the plotting, basically. It had to be. Uh, Bazooka is a character that gets misrepresented often. Oh, yeah. And I feel... I mean, controversially, the only thing that I take to be canon is the file card. I have a mm-hmm. bit of a purist view when it comes to G.I. Joe and Cobra and the mythology. I think the file card is the finest distillation of what a character is meant to be. And if they are kind of estranged on, well, primarily the cartoon, but even, I would go as far as to say, Mr. Harmer's very own work on, in the comic book... If there's something that I find doesn't ring true to the file card, I'll default to the file card. I'll disregard mm-hmm. that evidence, uh, you know, from the comic book or cartoon and, and, and play up the aspects in the file card. Because essentially what we are doing is, is putting forth a slightly remixed version of G.I. Joe. Our stuff right. sometimes borrows from the cartoons, oftentimes borrows from the comic book, but definitely, definitely takes the, the the original file cards to be gospel mm-hmm. and we're just running with it man i'd like to put yeah. my own stamp in from time to time and we'll get to that particularly with the characterization of the twins 
Right. Coming back to Bazooka, I mean, after seeing it, it he was an excellent and perfect choice. And um, for a couple reasons. Number one is he has just a T-shirt on. You know, he has no bullets, no knives on his chest or grenades. So, yeah, he can walk around an airport and he can be on an airplane. And number two, it's like, well, yeah, he kind of is a missile specialist. So he would be able to understand what a nuke is. And and I think that's where you're, you're right. We talk about the file card goes in to explaining his skill set. And you even kind of mentioned that with the dialogue with Hawk. I remember correctly. Hawk is kind of telling him, like, yeah, you've got to, you know, determine and assess out this nuke. And Bazooka is a little apprehensive. He's like, well, you know, I can do that part, but getting in and out, uh, that's not my forte. I know I'm not an undercover guy. And you're like, we got a guy for that. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice, uh, nice little sort of planting the seed as to who that might be. Someone who's kind of in country and has a legitimate cover story. Right. I wanted Bazooka's cover story to kind of mesh with that. Uh, it's a throwaway line, but it's definitely in there that Bazooka's mm-hmm. going over to be a pyrotechnics consultant. Right. And like, I always reckon crew guys who are into pyrotechnics or armorers, they typically have a pseudo military dress anyway. Right. So, I mean, he's wearing a football jersey, but he's undeniably wearing like olive green cargo pants yes like that would be what you expect to find the crew guy wearing plus the sweatbands of course mm-hmm. right <laughs> and a good old tom Selleck mustache yes and the thing that bazooka's missing is a ponytail and he would fit right in on a, a film crew because oh, <laughs> man a film crew in like circa 1987 perfect yep chop socky action film nice would not be unusual for them to have a knife on their pocket but other than that, you know, the, the T-shirt, khaki pants, perfect boots. That's that's what they wear. And, you know, I learned how, like, w- from watching you, I really like the movement of the figures that you give them on screen. Like, I don't know if it was intentional or if it just comes across that way. But when Bazooka's walking in the airport, he has such a swagger to him. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you've poured over these clips as as much as we have, Troy, I'm sure you start noticing what kind of body language works and what kind of body language is starting to look toyetic. And you, you, you mm-hmm. think to yourself, well, I can do better than that. So, you know, if you look back at where we started out, I think it was uh, the Atlantis Factor Part 1, like, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the figures are kind of doing like a bunny hop. Mm-hmm. You know, which is how you would maneuver the figures if you weren't doing it for camera or if you're doing it casually as a child, you know, just playing with your figures. But it is possible to puppeteer them more naturalistically. And I try and do that, specifically when you don't see the feet. You know, if you are cutting them off at the shins to hide your fingers, you can get a more graceful stroll. Um, I suppose it's all about framing. Because mm-hmm. once once they're no longer in contact with the ground, you can get away with oh, you can get away with anything, man. <laughs> yeah, I, and I you do. Trying to minimize, I have been trying to minimize the hands because while it will always be our signature and we don't ever want to shy away from the fact that we are playing, in terms of suspension of disbelief, it couldn't hurt to minimize. Right. And so yes. I think 
uh, Bad Luck Lady, but most specifically in this latest one, Yin Yang, we're we're, we're cutting down on on the on the fingers in the frame. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Boo! Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I finally caved to the pressure of that comment. I know our diehard fans uh, love this stuff regardless, but the more casual fans, they're like, huh, this isn't stop motion. What the hell, right. man? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I saw your fingers. <laughs> well, it's buddy, just... you could never have the backdrop of Hong Kong captured in stop motion. It would basically no. be a still image. Yes. So you can't have it both ways, man. You know, it, you've come a long way from the Atlantis factor. And I just remembered, I, I remember commenting this on on the first time I saw it before you and I were friends and talking a lot. But it's like when that helicopter fan goes down, it's like you're right on screen with a, across your, <laughs> a slit across your neck. It's like you're not hiding. You're having fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you are caught on camera, you be sure to make a joke out of it because uh, yep. if you don't, someone else will. Yeah, exactly. Because then it's like, yeah, I know I'm on camera. It's okay. Versus <laughs> like, oh, you didn't hide very well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is another critical, critical question that I just have to know. When Bazooka is on the plane, did he recline his seat? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, You know, like I, I was playing around with things that he could do. and I, I couldn't very well have him like order something from the, the stewardess. Um, because I wanted that sequence purely set to music, uh, uh, with the, a little bit of, um, sort of aircraft sound effect. Oh no, wait, this mm-hmm. is actually before that. I think this is still while the briefing voiceover was kind of happening under it. Exactly. So, yeah, I, I yeah. couldn't, I couldn't have like diegetic moments of dialogue mixed in with the voiceover. It would be confusing. So mm-hmm. the only action that you can otherwise do in a plane, I suppose, is either looking around or like, that kind of, here we go, I'm con- basically consigning myself to my fate. I might get right. caught by uh, immigration and put in a cell, but uh, here, I'm, I'm, I'm just basically surrendering myself to, to the beast, mm-hmm. this mission, this, this clandestine mission, which I don't think is beyond Bazooka's capabilities. His file card goes on to talk about how he's a natural survivor how he thinks on his feet, how he has incredible foresight and is trained in modern weapon systems all the way up to and including tactical nuclear weapons. So he is absolutely the right man for the job. I fly in the face of all the bazooka doubters out there. He's a G.I. Joe. He's a professional. He's the best of the best of the best, sir. Yep. So there you go. But in that situation, he's like... There's nothing more to be done. Here we go. Yeah. This mission is on. Well, you know, I think you and I talk a lot, and the goal is to kind of shine lights on these figures and these toys and to make people realize and look at them from a different angle and sometimes change people's minds. And you definitely did that for me with Bazooka. I, I The Bazooka I know is the cartoon, and I can't stand him. <laughs> and I couldn't stand him. But this Bazooka, yeah, he's all right. I like him. You know, it's it's very he's he's a good bazooka. And and you what you just said just says it all. He is a Joe. And thanks, Troy. He's in that class of 85. Yeah. And and that gives him some shine. But Mm -hmm. I'll level with you, man. He was in that box from MCDJ, ACDC, (laughs) Uh, Mm -hmm. 
because he is essentially one of the last Joes to enter my collection. Mm-hmm. I have routinely avoided him because I think his missile launcher is laughably diminutive and, you know, it just never seemed like something that, like, it seemed oversimplified. It, it's essentially just like a tube with something right. poking out of the end. So that <laughs> never excited me. The helmet is an excellent accessory. The backpack is an excellent accessory. But without the weapon, it all kind of falls apart. I'm like, eh. And then you take mm-hmm. the the football jersey into account, and that also is like, how do you ever explain that? Right. Well, the answer, yin-yang, baby. <laughs> yes. Yes. If he had grenades strapped on him, it just wouldn't be right on an airplane. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. No, so so well done, and you know the subtleties of him reclining in the seat it, that that just really sells the character. So well well done, and the storytelling that you were doing, like you said, the voiceover while we're seeing these beautiful images. I, I mean, the forethought that you put into this, like, okay, I, I got a movie coming up. What can I grab? You know what? I'm going to shoot out the window here on this airplane, and voila, we, we've got aerial shots in our video. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> I, don't, I don't have a pocket patrol pack, but I do have a camo pattern moon bag, um, mm-hmm. or as you would call them, a fanny pack. <laughs> right. I mean, do you guys call them fanny packs, or has moon bag finally caught on? I've never heard Moonbag before. No, you're kidding me. <laughs> yeah. There's a bum bag. Yeah. Seinfeld called it a, a Euro carry all. <laughs> well, that is my pocket patrol pack. Yeah. It was a gift from a work colleague and it has played host to many a G.I. Joe action figure on a plane. <laughs> yes. Passports and Joes. Yes. My wife's purse is kind of fanny pack esque and she loves it. So they're still in style. Well, they kind of came back in a very niche, hipster kind of way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it's perhaps a little too niche for me to pull it off, but I do recall it had caught on so much so that uh, when G.I. Joburg invaded the United States last year and went to JoeCon, mm-hmm. both Paul and Rob also rocked a, a fanny pack. <laughs> <laughs> I think I put the fear of... Yeah, the massive fear in them about losing their passports. I was like, right. guys, if you lose your passports, like, you can't leave the country. You'll have to apply for a new one. We'll have to leave you. You have to get a new flight. Like, that was like, oh, they they dare leave their passport at any Airbnb or motel. <laughs> it was like, it went with them everywhere. So the the fanny pack was was essential. Yeah. Wow, so I think anything else on Bazooka that we need to cover? I think Zook's uh, been given more credit than he ever gets. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So we can we can put a cork in that. Yes, and you know what? Since we're still talking about that scene when he's introduced and he's talking to Hawk, I think I watched it three or four times before I realized, like, oh, we don't see Hawk. And you know what? Excellent uh, photography there. Uh, you know, with just some very clever lighting and unique, slow-moving camera angles. I mean, the story's being told. You know, it looks like Bazooka's being interrogated, but it's a great scene, and we don't need to see Hawk. We just got we got his voice. Thanks. I think if I'm if I'm brutally honest, I think I was inspired by um, the additional. I wouldn't call it footage because it's really just still photography or still artwork. Um, of Solid Snake in Metal Gear Solid. Like, you get to review the sort of the briefing tapes 
which is sort of additional story material that you don't have to sit through in the actual gameplay proper. But if you want to go through it, it's there in the sort of a drop-down menu. And mm-hmm. in those tapes, you essentially just see Snake himself. You hear Colonel Campbell, but you don't see him. Uh, this was also a practical reason. I mean, you guessed it. I didn't have a Hawk figure with me. Mm-hmm. And while I did ask Paul if he could send me some cutaways of Hawk, Obviously, it didn't match. You know, Paul and I have very distinct styles, and I didn't want to kind of keep haranguing him about it. Like, "Mm, could you crop in a little bit tighter? Could you dim the light (laughs) a little bit more? Could you kind of shoot him in a, you know, more top-down lighting, less kind of well-lit? Because I I, I did want it to be interrogation style. It's like, this is a, a very secretive chamber in the pit, and... You know, it's, it, they don't need any strong lighting. It's it's literally like there for conversation, for briefing, for mm-hmm. dialogue, essentially. Right. <laughs> yes, I'm sure these rooms really exist in ultra-secret military organizations, <laughs> these mood lighting rooms. Um, but yeah, it, it conveyed the seriousness of like, hmm, this is a rather dangerous and crucial mission. Mm-hmm. So set the tone, baby. Yeah. So yeah, the 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 stand-in, as it were, is actually a night force psych out. Oh. Because I sometimes did a kind of a tracking shot with a shadowy figure in the foreground, just to give you the feel that there was someone else in the room, and that's that's psych out. Who would have worked? But I think Hawk works just a bit better. Yeah. You go straight to the top. Yes, and I'm a little jealous of that night uh, psych out. I like it. <laughs> good figure. Very good figure. He is. Mm. A nice looking figure. All right, so we can jump back a little bit. The opening starts right where Bad Luck Lady left off. Very cool with yeah. the helicopter coming in with snake eyes. Thanks. I, it's funny. I didn't get as nearly as many kind of like, I suppose in the comments, like requests, like what happens next when it, when Bad Luck Lady came out? I think it felt almost final, but it, it absolutely is not. Right. They definitely are boarding a Cobra helicopter en route somewhere. Who knows? It's a mystery. Yeah, yeah that is, I mean, when Ying Ying was coming out, I was not expecting uh, a bazooka undercover mission with Quick Kick <laughs> at all. It was... Um, I was expecting those guys to be. My son just found me. <laughs> hey Jojo. Hey Jojo. I know he thinks he sees the GI Joes on the bed. He's like, "What are you doing in my bedroom with the GI Joes?" <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. But it's getting late, man. Doesn't he want to be yeah. in his bedroom? Not yet. <laughs> Oh, Troy, oh, I don't want to keep you, buddy. Uh, I'm sure we can we can we can make this a two-parter if uh, you want to hang out with the fam. I think well, let's see how far we can keep going, and okay. I'll uh, we'll we'll see if if his voice carries over too much and it gets too distracting. We can uh, swing back again. No problem, man. It is, of course, the festive season. That's right. Uh, yeah, man. It's all about the family. I'm very fortunate to have the wife with me. Yes. She's making us a cup of tea as we speak. All right. Sweetheart. 
All right, where were we? Gosh. Oh, um, yes. So Bad Luck Lady ends. I was expecting uh, Ying Yang to start and continue with uh, Jinx and Snake Eyes just beating up a lot of Cobras, running through a Cobra base and sneaking around. And I was definitely not expecting a Bazooka-centric and Quick Kick featured. And not even the twins weren't even on the radar. So well done on the misdirection there. And I, I like the going back in time two weeks ago. Because now we're in this conundrum, so kind of like backing up. Uh, Quick Kick is Ooh, captured. Two, two months ago, in fact. It's uh, I wanted to oh, keep the time months? frame quite a bit more luxurious. Because two okay. weeks... I wanted Bazooka's time in-country to, to be a lot more than what you're seeing. I right. mean, they are essentially doing all the super spy-ish things like, you know, casing out joints, taking lots of photography... Uh, mm -hmm. traveling around the country, you know, in stolen vehicles. Right. Uh, and basically seeing this, or noticing peculiarities, supply lines. Uh, you know, I, I, I hinted a lot of this stuff, but I didn't want to be too heavy on the exposition. So if it's not evident on the first watch, that's okay too. Right. But I, th I felt like two months was, was an adequate uh, jump back in time. It okay, it's two months. All right, I don't know where I got two weeks from, but uh, something it, like that. <laughs> yeah, those, those scenes are pretty amazing because we can look back and see all of like, like when you go back five years from now, ten years, and you wonder like, oh, I wonder what my life like was in China. You're gonna watch this video and it's gonna bring back so many memories. And I just love all the B-roll footage that you got in Hong Kong and China, and knowing that you're there, I felt like you know, I'm kind of a experiencing it through your eyes also and i think you did a great job incorporating you know your life and your touring in with the storyline and that's that's pretty awesome thanks troy thanks man you're right it, it is going to be a touchstone for me but i also am happy to pride myself and, and this channel on uh taking these toys not only out into the wild but now out into the world um, yes. I am very, very fortunate, and I don't take it for granted that I get to travel in my job. And I am going to take G.I. Joes with me, and I'm going to take G.I. Joburg with me, and I'm going to take all the alls with me. Everyone watching our stuff gets to see a little piece of the world, man. And uh, it is with my greatest of pleasures to be able to present that. Um, it's a little, little t uh, travel video, except... Uh, telling a G.I. Joe story all the while. Yes, and it, it works. It works excellent. Thanks. So how did you how did you construct uh, the interior of the helicopter? That was very cool. <laughs> and, and who was the white who was the white cobra officer with the all white right. hat? So I fortunately in that box got a 1989 figure, which was the uh, Track Viper, the driver to the Hiss Two. Okay. And that is a masked figure, uh, and I found on my toy hunting in China a unmasked Crimson Guard figure, which just has the kind of the bal balaclava over his mouth. And I figured that would make for a pretty decent flight crew in the back of the helicopter. Uh, the helicopter itself <laughs> isn't a helicopter at all. Oh dear. 
for that, I made use of a Star Wars toy, which I have sitting back at my wife's apartment in Australia. So not only does this uh, <laughs> movie take place in Hong Kong and China, but in uh, Queensland as well. Uh, because those sequences are filmed in the back of a turbo tank. Okay. Which I don't know if you're familiar with. is one of the prequel vehicles. It's this gigantic, hulking, uh, eight-wheeled vehicle um, from, I think, episode three. Uh, the Juggernaut, or turbo tank, as it's called. And it is a fabulously spacious interior. Uh, doubles nicely because it's got kind of nondescript grey detailed walls so yeah that was probably the the only toyetic set i had to hand uh perhaps a little bit too spacious in fact i mean this is one gigantic cargo helicopter that cobra has repurposed and they're landing it on a rooftop on a chinese skyscraper okay yes <laughs> but he's supposed to pick up a lot of troops though so it makes sense there's extra room because <laughs> yeah. he had a whole, whole squadron yeah so that wouldn't be the first time i guess we use star wars uh I uh, use the uh, trash, trash compactor. compactor. Jinx. <laughs> yep. <laughs> good touch, man. Yeah. No. So that was good. I was wondering where that where those guys came from. So very cool. And then the twins. Let's just move on over to the twins, I guess. Yes, please. Yeah. So bringing them in, what a surprise! I'm unfamiliar with their characterization in current GI Joe media. I know they had a role in the sort of the, the, the G.I. Joe book that everyone raves about, which is G.I. Joe Cobra, which tells the story of Chuckles, deep cover within the Cobra organization. I know people are quite enamored with their approach in that book. I'm not familiar with it, and I'm kind of grateful for that because I don't want to be seen to be plagiarizing if there are similarities. But I did want to distinguish them from their characterization in perhaps the cartoon, where the notion is that they're identical twins and they therefore share a psychic bond and finish each other's sentences. They almost speak with one mind and one voice, even though they are voiced by two different actors in the credits. Um, they finish each other's sentences left, right, and center. I think I'd like to take them down a different road. I think the fact that they are mirror images of one another speaks volumes about the fact that they are, in fact, as the name of the episode suggests, a yin and a yang. They have elements of each other's personalities present in each, but the dominant personality is at odds. You know, they kind of got the the leftover share, you know. The one got all the... The one got the lion's share of all the assertiveness, and the other got the lion's share of all the more calculating emotions. And these two voices will always contradict one another, but the ultimate path that they choose will be a balance of both. And that is their strength. They can see a problem from two different angles. The more reticent one, I thought, would be the scarred twin. That's Zemot. You can see in his posture, he's kind of more reclined. He always is the second one to speak. He speaks with a more sedate, calm, quieter tone. The unscarred twin is always on the front foot. He's pacing. He's answering the phone. He's raising his voice. He's getting worked up. 
And I think the fact that Zaymot possesses a scar is indicative of that. You know, in that kind of old debate of nurture versus nature, the one that's been scarred has been burned. He's now less likely to rush in where angels fear to tread. He's more likely to step back and engage with something intellectually and kind of slow his brother down. And as I say, the middle path that is left is the best one. Surprising, we're talking about like new toys. I found the 50th anniversary of the Dual Desert, the uh, Awe Striker, and it has a repurposed snowcat for Cobra mm. on my bed. And I found the Basilisk. It, and it, these are amazing play sets. This Awe Striker is amazing. Mm. And so I have him on the bed, and JoJo just came in, and he's. Uh, He's enjoying them right now. <laughs> Good boy. Yeah, it's incredible. The amount of accessories that they've added oh, to the Awe Striker. It's its, yeah. it's, its 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 own toy, man. Oh, it's so beautiful. And I always thought, like, I love the Awe Striker bits, and nothing will surpass the, the original because it is the original. Yes. But I am looking at it with nostalgic tinted glasses because the Awe Striker should have been tan. Yeah. So going back to uh, the twins, you decided not to voice the other twin. You gave that honors to uh, who? Who did you give those honors to? And then why <laughs> did you make that choice? <laughs> I worked in one of my work colleagues. Uh, his name's Ryan Devilliers, and he plays uh, Miss Trunchbull. In fact, because <laughs> in the production of Matilda, Miss Trunchbull is played by a male in drag. Uh, he has a terrific voice, naturally, and I just. I guess I kind of grow tired of hearing myself, uh, and to, to do both twins would be perhaps confusing to the listener. I wanted to set up a distinction and also just play into the fact that, yes, they are their own person. They don't speak with the same voice, necessarily. Uh, perhaps perhaps Zaymot uh, smokes uh, a pack of camel a day, and Tomax sings in the church choir. I don't know. <laughs> Basically, they, they do have distinctive voices, which I think works. Um, but they, they, they also have rather indistinct general European accents. Sometimes it's a little bit Flemish. Sometimes it's a little bit Swiss. Sometimes you'll hear a French lilt in there. I like to play with the idea that they are... They basically were raised everywhere. If it wasn't in one household, it was in another. Uh, if it wasn't in one armed forces, it was in another. They've traveled the world, and their heritage is very mixed. Yes, when in Rome, mm, you know, they, yeah. that would make perfect sense if they are circus acrobats being all over the world traveling. Ah. Or uh, Foreign Legion. Uh, the yeah. French Foreign Legion is made up of legionnaires from all around the world. So if they did do their time there, they were in, you know, in, in the mix with many, many different accents, be it sort of French, Congo, be it, uh, you know, from other colonies all over the show. They're a, a real smorgasbord, and I hope it came out in their rather wishy-washy, unplaceable accents. Yeah, it definitely came out, and I think... Uh... He did a great job, and I guess that's what you expect from a, a real actor. Thank you. I'll be sure to pass that on. 
he was always very self-conscious. He was like, no, that, surely that can't be a take. And I'm like, oh, baby, that is a take. <laughs> We're using that. So, yes, I, I, I will tell him that it gets your seal of approval. Thank you, Troy. No, it was, it was great. It was a good surprise. I was like, oh, all right, it's a new voice. Um, and me personally, it's hard to voice all these characters because <laughs> after a while, it's like you eventually are going to get – you're going to run – you know, past your skill level, you know, it's like, how many different voices can I do? And convincingly. Like, well, I think it has, has to do with how many voices you can do within a specific show. Mm -hmm. I think the cost is narrow enough on this one that I've gotten away with it. But I think my Hawk sounds a bit like perhaps every other Joe, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, that kind of general... North American placement, uh, you know, it, there's no specific region that colors it. It's 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 very general. So they start sounding a lot like everything else. Fortunately, there aren't many other American voices in Yin Yang, so I think I got away with it. Snake Eyes, of course, yes. doesn't have much to say. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's right. He doesn't, but uh, he does crack his knuckles. So <laughs> that was pretty cool. I caught that. <laughs> Yep, the last word on the subject. It's like, we need someone to take out that guard tower. <laughs> <laughs> All right, one more thing about the twins. They're set. Very well done. And it makes perfect sense to use mirrors. And, um, you know, the thought that you put in to grabbing that coin looks like an old Roman shield, like a priceless antiquity would be something those guys would have in their office, you know, probably something that belonged to the museum, but they probably stole it. <laughs> and, you know, it's like the production value was very good. I, I like, I like the thought that all the thought that you put into that, that was pretty sweet. You're bang on, sir. Those are props that were included in Indiana Jones action figure sets. Okay. Sort of additional kibble, really. I mean, you get them in these, fake cardboard boxes or well fake wooden boxes but they're made of cardboard and they were sort of designed as like mystery boxes <laughs> uh included with Indy and the other members of the cast that you could buy in it which company made them i can't remember now but the basically back in the day was of, it Kenner? Poss no this was um this is some years after i mean those those are i'm not talking about the original three and three quarter inch Kenner figures um, around about the same time as Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was being released, uh, they made indie action figures from the other films. So, Raiders, okay. Temple of Doom. Yes. Uh, and, and they included these bits and pieces, and you're absolutely right, it's something that high rollers like the twins would have in their very swanky office. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw the phone, and I was like, oh, I gotta get one of those. <laughs> Take it was very cool. So the phone, uh, yeah, is yeah. not a bought prop. <laughs> that is um, a row of unbroken staples, just bent uh, and covered in um, masking tape. Oh, okay. So I better get all my arts and crafts <laughs> to make my props. Use what you can get. I was like, I need the aerial to stick out. What can I use for that? A staple. Hmm. But then what about the body of the thing? Oh, I'll just use staples. Make sure that they still are kind of like adhered to one another. Uh, I think it was a row of about four or five staples. And then just kind of wrapped in black tape. 
Yeah, and, buddy. I would have normally used a Firefly phone, but sadly, I don't have any to hand. Oh yeah, there are plenty of phones in the vintage line. Hmm. I was say I may have to show that scene to my twelve-year-old daughter. She's very crafty. I say, can you make one of these for me, sweetheart? <laughs> the world depends on. Well, it. it's often been said that the the ultimate weapon that the twins possess is just a flip phone, and I think that's mm-hmm. something that Cujo has said a number of times on the the podcast. They're the most dangerous villains Cobra has got because you know they can el- eliminate you just at the push of a button. And it's not even a button, you know, on a, on some kind of weapon of mass destruction. It's literally like just making the right call. Yeah. And their power is everywhere. Everywhere business is done, the twins have a presence. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's very much their their key prop, I guess. So it was important that I get something that looked convincing enough. And I'm grateful that it managed to fool even uh, your very very sharp eyes, sir. Yeah, the the phone is great. I'm going to watch it again and see, where are those stickers? <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll see bits of uh, the metal poking out. It looks like it could be a joint on the phone that would kind of extend or flip, but it really is just staples. <laughs> <laughs> with one of, with one of the staple arms kind of bent outwards to form the the aerial. Okay. Well, it's 1980s phone, so, you know, they oh, were big. Oh, yeah. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. So I guess we should uh, transition over to the final character in this episode, Mr. Quick Kick. Yes, sir. So I I love the introduction of him. I wasn't expecting him. And, uh, you know, as soon as you see the feet, it you know exactly who it is. And the pan up was perfect. And the scene with uh, him and uh, Bazooka just sitting there, like your forced perspective is just spot on because it almost looks like, how in the world do you get those little people in your set? <laughs> just it, the lights in the background. It's so colorful. It's a beautiful scene. And and you nailed it. So congrats. <laughs> Cheers, man. You know, every time I cut in that scene, it's really because someone walked a little bit too close to the camera. <laughs> you know, because forced perspective only works to an extent. Mm-hmm. Once the people behind you start looking bigger than the Joes in the foreground, the right. illusion is broken. So, like, right. and and it was a busy street scene. I mean, that was shot at about 11 o'clock at night, but the streets of Hong Kong are still thriving at that time. So, right. uh, you know, there were throngs of people moving left and right, oftentimes very close to my table, and, uh, nope, had to edit that out. Sorry. Bam. You're out of well, there. Your, your cameo has been cancelled. Because you're too yes. damn big, giant person. Not in this script. <laughs> and the good news is, since the uh, action figures aren't speaking, you don't have any lip flapper uh, words out of sync. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You have a lot more freedom as an editor because you're not shooting anything that is live. Yeah. Alive, I should say. Uh, but, yeah, man. You do want to kind of get those camera moves right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's nice, it, dramatically, it's nice to have a, ca- a character interrupt another character and then a whip pan mm-hmm. back to the character that's speaking. Uh, and so I, I guess I just got lucky in some instances that it worked in the edit. But uh, it, just so nice to have the backdrop of those neon lights. It's very authentic. Oh, very. it's very cool. And you have a lot of angles, uh, which is very impressive because 
I cheat a little bit, and it's like if I'm having two conversations, like, all right, I need a two shot, an over the shoulder, and a tight, and it's like five shots, I'm done, <laughs> and it's like you can just cut and just da 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 da. But no, no, you you did some high angle, low angle, side by side. You know, you moved your camera around a lot and spent a lot of time. So I think that really sells the scene. So good job. I noticed it. Thanks, buddy. Uh, I wanted to keep the frames visually inter- interesting because mm-hmm. I mean the, the the dialogue. I suppose it's it's deceptively banal. Um, mm-hmm. This is their introduction, right? But it's also in plain sight. Right. They can't talk about the nitty-gritty of their mission they can't get too detailed it's all very tradecraft it's all very spy uh, right and their initial call and answer maybe maybe it's far too subtle for for the viewer but it made me pleased to have penned it that it's really just a it's a code phrase and counter code phrase mm-hmm. did you get that I did not get the code phrase and counter code phrase. So, quick kick sidles up to this guy who he's no doubt noticed in a crowd. I mean, he's rather conspicuously dressed and, of course, is a white guy in, you know, sort of a very, very authentic Hong Kong ramen noodle place. Right. Um, and his first line is, what a chance to be a Patriot yeah, supporter. Patriot. Yep. <laughs> did I get the jersey right? Is that a Patriots jersey? Yes, it is. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, <laughs> I was stressing that, about that. Okay, good. Okay, that's what I thought you were going to say, because I was going to bring that up also. I love... See, I took that as a joke that just kind of went flat. <laughs> that gotcha. Bazooka's like, yeah, I've heard that one before. And then Bazooka's <laughs> saying, you know, it's like, I never know what to wear. I never know what the order at this place. You know, you can tell he's out of his element. Because that's what a lot of Americans say when they go to the Chinese restaurant for the first time. They're like, I, I don't know what to order. <laughs> and I guess that's why the it being a counter code phrase is uh, is maybe a smart choice. Maybe it's not a smart choice. Maybe it's too too obvious. But uh, it, it would seem natural <laughs> for an outsider to say, I never know what to order at these places. Right. No one's gonna pick up on that, and uh, and the other the other joke you threw in there, it's like a good thing this is a no shirt, no shoes, no service joint. <laughs> this is not. You know that is a very American phrase that hasn't really per- permeated the rest of the world. Uh, yeah. So I'm I'm grateful I've I've spent a bit of time in your fine country to have picked that up. No shirt, no service. <laughs> nice, because people just come off the street wearing nothing. <laughs> And walk up yeah. to the bar. Is, I mean, does that early happen? I have no idea because I remember seeing that as a kid, and I'm like, who are these shirtless people? If I'm to to try and explain the joke, which is lame, um, <laughs> I think it's because people often wear like wife beaters. Okay. And that's that's not acceptable. It's like wear right. a button down shirt or a t-shirt. Don't you know? Don't have your arms on display. Don't ha- have this kind of like plunging neckline, basically. Yeah. And I guess if I grew up in a surf town, that definitely makes a beach town. That definitely makes more sense. But in rural Ohio, it's like, why would you have that sign there? Uh, weird. <laughs> well, no, dude, I think it's perfectly applicable in like the rural setting. I mean, like, I've been working the field all day, man. Just wearing my vest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I want to get a beer. 
Oh, jeez. I, I hope I have not offended anyone <laughs> with that bit of stereotyping, but uh, so, yeah, that's that's how, how I, I imagine it. It got its notoriety, that phrase. Yeah, yeah. I guess I can see that now. Oh, and by the way, their table <laughs> is actually just the bottom of a McDonald's coffee cup. Cut out. Okay, clever. FYI, yeah, yeah. For all you crafters out there who love your arts and crafts, right? <laughs> coffee cups make for great action figure round tables. There we go. Now and now you know. And they're waterproof. Hey, yeah. You can spill your drink on that. Yep. It won't uh, <laughs> fall apart. Yeah. So was there? I guess going back to Bad Luck Lady, you know, that was the big reveal of Snake Eyes. The uh, Arguably, it's not even an argument, the most popular G.I. Joe. That was a, a big moment in Joburg history. Was it? <laughs> it's a subtle one, I'd say. Uh, yeah, sure, he gets to do some damage in that. But my philosophy with Snake Eyes, moving forward at least, is that you know how you have like uh, shoot 'em up games or fighting games? Uh, for those retro gamers out there, and there was a certain button you'd press to like call in like your your support, like a giant, like a big weapon that would just clear the screen of all enemies. Mm-hmm. Snake Eyes, in my mind, is that dramatic device. He's the guy that GI Joe calls in to clear the screen. Uh, he's not the tip of the spear all the time, mm-hmm. um, which is something that he's always become in GI Joe media, and I think. We all love Snake Eyes, but there's like a saturation point that we reached, and we reached it some time ago, and I think out of a response to that, Mr. Harmer kind of took the focus off Snake Eyes and even killed him in mm-hmm. some current continuity, and that's cool, but uh, for my part, Snake Eyes' story has been told so much that like, we don't need to hop on it. Right. Bad Luck Lady, yeah, definitely gave him a little bit of time to shine. But I also don't want him to imbue him with some kind of godlike powers. Right. In my mind, a lone crimson god is still a serious threat to both Jinx and Snake Eyes. I wanted to make it seem like, sure, they got the drop on their enemy, but this is a dangerous situation even for our ninja pair. Mm-hmm. Mm. Going back to Snake Eyes, yes, I definitely applaud the the use of him uh not overdone at all cheers it's a fine line to cut man we often get requests like when snake eyes gonna fight storm shadow i'm like i think i might shy away from that for the longest time because yeah in my eyes when two ninja masters finally throw down it's over in seconds it's done you know it's not an ongoing grudge match with shurikens flying and, you know, repelling lines off cliff faces and... Uh, nah, come on, man. These guys know what they're doing and if they... And, and also they are martial artists in the philosophical sense as well. Mm-hmm. That they if they are to bear arms against one another, this will be decisive and it will be decided. And it will be the ultimate, you know, end to their conflict. One right. will stand, one will fall. Or perhaps both of them will perish. You know? Try and survive a a sword fight without being slashed to ribbons. Uh, it's, you know, unless you get the first strike, 
you're going to get cut. <laughs> right. There's no two ways about it, man. Yeah. One of my clients was a Marine, and he said, yep, when you go in a knife fight, expect to get cut. <laughs> so. yeah. you, you, you basically need to decide which of your arms you're going to sacrifice. Yeah. And, you know, that story has been told again and again and again, but the bazooka story hasn't. And I think that's where our joy is, you know, shining the light on, on the un, untold stories. Jeez. So, yeah, man. Yeah. That time, Bazooka went to Red China to look for some nukes. That's right. <laughs> I wouldn't mind uh, it going down in recorded history as his finest moments because, man, they just killed him off in Resolutes, like, on yeah. screen in the first right. episode. It's like, right, like, geez. right up the front. Yeah. This is a love letter to all the Bazooka fans out there. G.I. Joe Burke's got your back, man. That's right. That's right. There's a fan for everybody. Swinging back to the Crimson Guard, that came across very clear. Quick Kick and Bazooka, you know, Red Charma Army guys outside, no problem. Not afraid of them. Dogs, nothing. But when Bazooka sees those three Cobra Troopers coming with the Crimson Guard in the front and flanked by two Vipers, you know, there's genuine fear that, or at least I I felt it. He's like, oh, no. You know, it's like... Uh, that was very cool because if you think about the cartoons, it's like Cobra's there, but they don't spark fear into any Joe. I think that gives it uh, a different spin on it. And it's like, yeah, Cobra's no joke. They mean business. I think the implication is that for two months, Bazooka, Snake Eyes, and Quick Kick are in-country. They've been watching military convoys, supply lines, doing the the groundwork leading up to this this raid but they have not seen cobra mm -hmm. there's been no evidence of cobra's involvement whatsoever just a suspicion that cobra's got to be involved somewhere like right. just in terms of brokering these deals in terms of the the kind of the the mediation of getting weaponized uranium and uh, guidance systems and all the things necessary for assembling weapons of mass destruction. It is G.I. Joe's primary purpose, their reason for being, is to track down this terrorist organization. Because there's very little outside of a declaration of war to stop mm -hmm. the sovereign nation from doing what they, what they want. Uh, but Cobra, they're not that. They're right. a third party. They are definitely in G.I. Joe's crosshairs and yet they are an enigma. Mm -hmm. So in that moment, Bazooka has finally seen the last piece of the puzzle, and it is Cobra, and not only is it Cobra, but they are, you know, the Cobra elite inside this facility, and they're fully armed and clearly on the prowl for something. Like, the, the, right. the, the, jig, is, the jig is up, basically, and it's not the... Uh, the Chinese army or personnel, security personnel that have been sent in as the first wave. It's like, no, you guys hold the perimeter. We'll handle this. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very good. And the whole uh, break-in scene was was very cool. I, I think my favorite scenes were, you know, you see the camera sitting still, and then you just see Bazooka and Quick Kick kind of slide into the frame against the wall and when they climb up and out just in just in time for the dog to be missed by the dog like, <laughs> good great film work 
Uh, you got to generate the tension somewhere, man. I, yeah. you know, I, 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 I just do not have the variation in toys for like extended action sequences. Mm-hmm. So it, it kind of, you just see the same guys getting shot at and like, that's boring for me. That is definitely B action movie from the eighties, which definitely has its time in the sun. I mean, it's, it's fun to watch, but in terms of the economy of wanting to tell a meaningful story with plot beats, it would just bog us down. It would be meaningless. So yeah, I wanted I wanted to craft a sequence that didn't rely on on action. And yeah, definitely having the the sneak into the facility. It was something that like I was anxious to do at some stage, and and this is the perfect opportunity because I'm forced to. You know, if I'm back in SA. I'd want to have massive action sequences involving, you know, the <laughs> defiant launch complex fighting off invading Cobra forces, stuff like that, before right. a critical launch. And in all of that palaver, you'll never get the subtlety of just two Joes and an almost insurmountable obstacle, but they managed to get in there in the nick of time. Yep. So yeah, you, you kind of, you, you, your plot is fashioned by your circumstance. Which is perhaps the best yeah. way to make art. <laughs> Have I elevated this stuff to art? I don't know. Let history be my judge. But yeah, I definitely feel the constraints and I kind of like to, I enjoy working within constraints. Yeah. I just imagine you walking around China just looking at like, okay, this would make a great scene for this or that makes a great prop for that. And <laughs> I, you backstage on, on your show, like <laughs> using the, <laughs> Uh, the boxes and the um, prop cases and the storage. It's like nice, beautiful hardwood floors and all beat up and scuffed up. Looks like a warehouse. <laughs> and Cheers, and thank you. The, the way you make walls and that, that it just works. You can slave away creating sets and giving mm-hmm. them realistic texturing, or you can just hunt down the best fit for you and, and, and use what is around you. And like, there was a very charming, uh, video game that I used to play, uh, on the Nintendo entertainment system called Monster in My Pocket, which, <laughs> you know, you were, it's basically a side scrolling platformer, but you were platforming on kitchen chairs and tables and down sewers and you were just basically playing a in scale little toy adventuring in the real world. And, I don't think there's any problem necessarily in using real world textures and places. Uh, mm-hmm. People might call them out for what they are, but in this kind of high stakes action world, yeah, man, things can be scaled up. Things can be vast. I mean, it looks like a hangar. It feels like a hangar. It's really just backstage on my show. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that it's a hill that I'm prepared to die on because, yeah, I'd rather scout out a real thing than to build something that may or may not work as well. Yeah, and I only noticed that those things because, one, that's kind of what I do for a living, and, two, I, I've seen the show four to five times and then I'm deconstructing it to so I can build my own. <laughs> so the first time it just goes right over me and, and, and it fits right in. So I don't notice those things. I usually on my first pass, cause I just like, it's all about the, for me, it's all about the story and I'm into the dialogue and I'm into the tension and, and, and I think that's what makes it work. It's all, all the elements make it work. The lighting, if it were just bright lights, 
doesn't work. You've got the lighting down. I mean, it's it just the angles sell it. It, it. It's a complete package. So it is. There's yeah. been a lot more night shooting on Bad Luck Lady and Yin Yang. Yeah. Uh, and that presents problems in and of itself. I mean, I certainly don't have a, a camera that's up to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so right. a lot of it's very grainy. But I don't know. I, I, I think I, once again, enjoy the limitations. I mean... The picture quality is as it should be for something that is set in 1987, I think. Right. Yeah. I, I ran into that on, on the final scene in, um, by Dawn's Early Light. It's like, mm. I only have like one or two lights there. And, and yeah, it's grainy and it's noisy, but it's a night shot. So it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. I like it. I like it. It's yes. an artistic choice, Troy. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Artistic choice. Cause go. yeah, we, we can flood it if we want, but. You, know, you get the more dramatic, dramatic scene. Um, so another thing I just want to bring out is like the planning and when they're talking and, and when uh, Bazooka and Quick Kick see Snake Eyes in the marsh, I just love how they just all take their cue from Snake Eyes. Nobody says anything, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I imagine it's just being all communicated with the eyes, and even Snake Eyes says his eyes you know covered but just the body language and it's just like yep yep okay you guys look legit let's go <laughs> you know the post this way I, I like that i uh, there was a i wouldn't even call it a deleted scene because it was never shot mm-hmm. in the final analysis we didn't need it but i was planning on doing a shot from the boat looking at the shore where you know the boat the boatman who we never see it's just just assumed that there are sort of fishermen that that they're hitching a ride with has kind of stopped the boat and bazooka's like oh so are we swimming from here and quick kick's like yeah <laughs> uh, bet you wish you weren't wearing those combat boots now and uh. then um <laughs> so constantly having a jab about the bare feet which yeah right. i mean that that joke will follow quick kick around forever um yeah. but the signal that they reach from the shoreline I wanted to get Kim or somebody to manipulate a torch and basically just flash the torch kind of Morse code, but kind of not. It would just be dash, dot, dot, dash, dot, dot, dash, dot, dot. Any guesses as to what that might signify? That particular uh, dash, dot, dot, or just the, the light? in the. Well, this either way, of... no. Well, okay. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to buy time. Eagle-eared to uh, listeners, uh, be sure to uh, triumphantly tell me on Facebook or, gosh, where else? But tell me in the Yin Yang uh, comments section if uh, if that's your favorite avenue, um, if you got it. But if you do a sort of an, a broken line, oh, sorry, unbroken line, broken line, unbroken line, broken line, it makes up the Arashikage tattoo. Oh, that makes sense. If I was to have shot that scene, there would have been some indication from Quick Kick, like, uh, that's our guy's signal. That's his signature. Huh. Um, the sort of the, yeah, I mean, you, you're familiar with the Arashikage tattoo, yes? It's, oh, yeah, absolutely. It's a line, and then two broken lines, and a line, two broken lines, line, two broken lines. So if you were to simplify that into Morse, it would be dash, dot, dot, dash, dot, dot, dash, dot, dot. Larry Harmer, my friends, the man is, yeah, an inspiration for a great many things. 
So don't credit me with that. That that came straight from the pages of the, of the Marvel comic. And it's it's kind of like uh, his playground, and we're just playing, right? <laughs> totally, totally. Well, it's a, a very it's a very fertile soil to be planting in. Uh, yeah. Thanks to him. But hopefully we can create some hybrid <laughs> plants of our own. Mm-hmm. All right, farm analogy over. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay. So um, another thing, I guess th- this is on the how-to, um, the planning stage. Love those little photos and uh, printouts. And you also had those in um, uh, Bad Luck Lady. Yeah. I guess before before we actually knew where this was going. In Bad Luck Lady, it was just sort of more general map work, uh, a few key personnel that maybe Snake Eyes was tailing um, mm-hmm. and had dossiers on. But the paperwork in Yin Yang is very specifically actual aerial photography that I took from my aircraft seat of facilities that I think looked kind of military-esque and storage-esque. Uh, and then Paul, using his graphic wizardry, managed to kind of create a filter over those images. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You're going to have to ask the man. He uh, he worked those up. And they were so beautiful that I couldn't just print them out and cut them out. Right. I I had to flash them Full up screen. on screen as well. So you get yeah. you get to see exactly what he was able to create in, in, in fine detail. I mean, it's it's a, a blink and you miss it moment, but it's it's there, man. Definitely worthy of a close-up. Always. And it so adds to the story and, and production value. It's like the Paul, man, he's the wizard behind the curtain, isn't he? You know? <laughs> oh, yes. Feature one of his uh, original tracks in the soundtrack as well, particularly the, uh, the boat ride to China and the introduction of Snake Eyes. Is set yep. to his track called "The Scorpion." The Scorpion, I like it. Yes, keep putting up those tracks, Paul. <laughs> In fact, I think I need to send him a text message uh, for our future upcoming uh, next episodes. <laughs> Ooh, I can't wait. What is the yeah. future, Troy? Well, where are we going? Can you divulge anything just to to titillate the listeners? Um. Just because it's the time of year, I have not had a chance to sit down as much as I want. I've got one scene scripted out that involves uh, Falcon and some Joe to be named. And, uh, you know, some of the stuff has been revealed in this podcast and some will be revealed uh, in the future. But I don't want to tell too much, but... um, we're definitely going to, you know, Falcon has some issues he's got to work out and Falcon's a hard nosed, tough character. And to be honest, I don't like him being how he is right now. <laughs> you know, okay. he's in this situation where he's like, he's having visions and, and, uh, being haunted and, and scarred. And, you know, he's a green beret. He's, that's not, I mean, he, he should be able to handle that very easily. So, um, he's got, we got to overcome that and fix that. We need to see Falcon needs to kick some butt. That's all that really yeah. needs to be said. Falcon needs a win. Yes, exactly. Bam. Good. Yeah. And then how about you? Uh, so, I mean, we've got some uh, Joes behind enemy lines and Quick Kick and uh, Bazooka think Snake Eyes is captured, but we know that's not true because uh, we saw the beginning of the episode. 
right? Nice. And it does yeah. come full circle, just like a yin yang. Yeah. Oh. So we've got uh, Jinx is not uh, a Joe at this point. Hmm. I don't even think she's got a code name at this point. Okay. So why is she bad luck lady? <laughs> yeah. What is she doing, and what's her agenda? And then uh, Snake Eyes, where is he? So, because his buddies need help. Indeed, indeed. Well, yeah, th- there are various things that I can divulge, and that's. It, it is something that I need to make more clear <laughs> that <laughs> Jinx's purpose in China was to track down Snake Eyes for reasons completely separate to G.I. Joe. Mm-hmm. She represents the Arashikage. Uh, a ninja clan which I, I, I've kind of wholesale incorporated the the comic book continuity that the Arashikage is where Snake Eyes got his martial arts training. They kind of brought him into the fold. And for whatever reason, things were soured at the Arashikage. We haven't really gotten into... Actually, we have. We have also incorporated the death of the Hardmaster and... Storm Shadow's expulsion, or, or the fact that he has left the Arashikage under rather uh, mysterious circumstances, and Snake Eyes has also had to leave. Jinx, in Bad Luck Lady, makes a desperate plea for him to come back, because the Arashikage needs his guidance. Because for good or for ill, he was named successor, mm-hmm. instead of Storm Shadow. Uh, this is all kind of canonic that I hope to incorporate without much actual um, legwork from, from our webisodes. Uh, right. But for, any, for anyone who was wondering, that is her reason for being in China. She's there, strictly speaking, to, to bring Snake Eyes back into the fold. Snake Eyes, of course, has his priorities elsewhere, and that's with the mission, with G.I. Joe. That's, that's uh, right. And he needs to wrap this up before he can even dream of taking on family matters. Uh, so he needs to stage this rescue at the very least. At the very most, they need to stop Tomax and Zaymot with whatever they're planning on doing in China. Right. And hopefully all will be revealed in the part three. I do want to make this a three-parter. I want to make it fit neatly within my time here in China. So uh, after the festives wrap up, that's where my attentions will be will be directed. Mm-hmm. And it all comes down to whether or not I encounter some snowfall. <laughs> you know, uh, if 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 I find a winter uh, setting, uh, that will that will kind of dictate what the third part looks like. If not, it might have to be exactly what you guessed, which is a more more of the sort of close quarters, doing battle inside whatever corporate headquarters Tomex and Zaymart are occupying. Right. But hopefully there can be fun, interesting twists even within that kind of storyline. Yeah, and if they have to go in through a warehouse again, you know, who says there can't be a wolf just kind of sitting there in the background? <laughs> you know, so oh, at least you yeah. di- didn't bring your toy to China for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the super powered up version of Snake Eyes includes his attack wolf. Yes. It's like <laughs> he's reached his final level, level 100. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Also, I need to somehow work in Jinx's codename. Yes. You can't uh, kind of sneak yourself into admission on the G.I. Joe bill without earning some kind of codename. And, man, 
she needs to she needs to get bad luck at some point. Maybe I'll consult my wife on that. On that right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if she is bad luck, she should just go stand next to Tomax and Omax. Oh, and Tomax uh, <laughs> and Zaymont. Zaymont, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Brilliant. Exactly. You sort them on, honey. Yeah. You you get on that helicopter with them. <laughs> it probably won't malfunction. <laughs> yeah, that helmet uh, takeoff was pretty cool. Um, oh, cheers. Like Old trick. Like <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, you know, film is still a two-dimensional medium. So, yeah, you won't, you won't get the fact that it's not on the same plane as her actual head. Yeah. <laughs> you just, of course, need to get the action figure to behave itself, which can yep. sometimes be rather trying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, I think we covered about everything. Fantastic, and... Troy. We've rambled on a fair bit. I've really enjoyed it, man. It's, it's nice oh, to let off some creative steam because of course while you slave away on these things you're constantly thinking of like well that'll be a cool story to tell later it's nice to get the opportunity to tell it with someone such as you who's been through the same process who understands the blood sweat and tears and um, and just gets to really enjoy the finished product as one should it's work that will stand oh yes stand the testimony of time again thank you for the platform that was very surprising to me when we first spoke and uh I'm glad we we're doing this together. It's fun. I learned from you, and you, I think you may get a trick or two from me. So it's great. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt, brother. Have yourself a fantastic festive season and a happy new year. And yeah, yo, Joe Berg, baby. Yo, Joe Berg. <laughs> <laughs>